Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Hey ACF, my name's Crystal. About a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And if you've ever received a call like that, you know it's definitely not something that was wanted or even on my radar. And over the last year, God has just really been using my leukemia and my battle with cancer to perfect me and to grow me. About a month ago, we were talking about prayer and fasting in one of our um, staff meetings. And Pastor Brian asked us, if you believed that God could do anything, what would you ask him to do? And my very first thought was, well, of course, take away my cancer. And then I kind of stopped for a minute and I thought about it. And I don't know if that would be my actual answer because God has been using this thing, this thing that was meant to kill me. He's been using it to grow me. And it's been one of the single most impactful things in my life that has changed the way that I viewed God, the way that I viewed myself and the way that I viewed the world. And so God has been using it to grow me closer to him and to change the way that I walk out my faith every single day. And although he is healing me from it and he is delivering me from this, he's also delivering me from so many other things through this. So I could have said thanks for nothing. But because of Jesus, I can say thanks for everything. Well, ACF, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Wherever you're viewing from, wherever you're joining us from, we just want you to know you are part of our family. We love you. We're grateful for you. And it's been a wild season, hasn't it? And I don't know about you, but I have struggled to be a thankful person. And so we're going to spend the month of November talking about thankfulness in our series called Thanks for Nothing. Thanks for nothing. I, I would bet that right now there are some of you, and, and, and that is exactly what you're saying to other people. That's what you're th- saying to uh, maybe the government right now. Uh, maybe that's what you've said to God lately. Like, all right, God, thanks for nothing. And so I want to get into a text here today. If you have a Bible or the ACF Church app, I want you to open up to Colossians chapter 3. And this is going to be kind of the base text for the next uh, three weeks as we walk through this conversation about how do we become grateful people, thankful people in a time where sometimes it feels like there's nothing to be thankful for. And so I'm going to start off by giving a bit of context uh, for the section of Scripture that we're going to spend most of our time in over the next few weeks. So this is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died in your life, is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let me pray as we get into this text today. Jesus, thank you so much for how you've been active in our lives up to this point. We, we know that you're there. We know that you um, have brought us to where we are, God, and you don't intend to leave us now. And so, Father, I pray in all of us that you would shape us and mold us, that you'd convict us of things that we believe that are, that are simply untrue. And, Father, would you give us your perspective on our lives? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, once again, this series, Thanks for Nothing, here is kind of the, the overarching theme and phrase that we're going to come back to over and over again. And it's simply this. I want to say thanks for nothing, but through Christ, I can give thanks for everything. Now, I'll be honest, that sounds good on a bumper sticker, uh, but it's kind of hard to live that out. I mean, it's easy to say those things, you know, like, through Christ, I can give thanks for everything, but it's a lot harder to actually do that. I connect with the first part of this statement really well. I want to say thanks for nothing. And maybe you do right now as well. Like, what is it in your life that is stealing your sense of thankfulness? I would say thankfulness is something that's really difficult to hold on to right now, especially in 2020. Do you know that 2020 has become a verb? Like, people are using it like this. Like, man, I got 2020 this week. I got 2020 by my boss this week. I got 2020 in the hospital this week. It's a verb for how terrible life is it can just feel like that, right? Like, like life is this never-ending train of terrible news. Why can't we hold on to thankfulness? Well, I think at a baseline, there's always something more that we want. I, I would say that's the, the basic reason that we can't be thankful is because there's always something more. There's always something better that we want to go after as people, I would say right now specifically, we struggle to be thankful because we're maybe insecure about the job that we have. Like we're not, we're not sure if we're going to have a, an income in, an, in another month or, or, or two months. And so we're, we're just struggling to be thankful for where we're at in our jobs. Maybe you have marital turmoil that's going on. And so when you go home, it's just going to be a fight. Like every single day, you just know that something's going to come up and you're in that mode as a couple where you're, you're picking at each other, right? And so the, the trouble is there. And so you don't find yourself waking up every day just thankful for your wife, thankful for your husband. Uh, maybe it's the fact that maybe you do have a spouse that's deployed right now and you're alone trying to, to, to take care of the kids or, or just to kind of do life here in Alaska and maybe you don't even have any family up here and so you feel somewhat alone and in your loneliness you find this struggle to be thankful. Uh, COVID has made us unthankful, right? Because we, we've got this sickness that's coming at us all the time. I'll tell you, social media Let's be honest, I don't ever get off of Facebook and think, man, I'm just so thankful right now. Man, like I, I was struggling with gratitude, then I got on Facebook, and, and then I just, I realized how grateful and thankful I am for the life that I have. I, that just, it doesn't happen to me, maybe it does for you. But whatever it may be, let's be honest, it's difficult to hold on to thankfulness. And so we as a church, we're on a mission this month to be a people of gratitude. We're on a mission this month to take up what's been lost, I think, for many of us over the past six to nine months. And that's just a spirit 
of thankfulness, uh, especially in the United States right now. There's sort of this anti-American thing that's, that's going around right now. And, and it's sort of like America phobia thing. And, and it's kind of like, man, there's so much that's wrong. And so we, we tend to criticize the country that we live in. And so we lose our sense of, of thankfulness for the place that we live. And in Colossians 3, Paul, what he's going to do is build a case for us to be as God's church, if you're a Christian, that we should live in constant thankfulness. Like, like without Jesus, uh, sure, our circumstances can, can be difficult and life can fall apart and, and, and you're just sort of hoping for better things and, and maybe you have something called optimism. Really, optimism is sort of a cheap version of, of true thankfulness, right? It's just, let's just think the best about our situation, really knowing deep down inside that it's a disaster. Whereas true thankfulness is to see the deeper things of God at work amidst our circumstances. So Paul, at this point, when he's writing this letter, he's actually in prison. And so what's crazy is that uh, as you read Paul's letters, you get this sense of gratitude through his letters. Somehow he's literally in chains for the gospel, and he's thankful. So once again, we've got to get perspective. I know that things seem bad sometimes in your experience, and and, and I don't want to downplay any of the difficult things that you're going through, because again, your problems are real. And your struggles are real. But I just want you to consider that there's someone else that is in a similar situation. And and I'll tell you this, a lot of times I feel like I'm really unique in my unthankfulness and in my situation. Whereas the, the reality is it's not that unique. And so one of the specific things that Paul is fighting against in this letter is something called Gnosticism. And here's what Gnosticism is. It's simply... The belief, that belief is an intellectual ascent, not a way of life. So every pagan god that people believed in, in this time, it was sort of like, hey, go to make the sacrifice to the god, do the religious things, and then walk away and, and just do whatever it takes to appease the gods, right? And so their, their religious activity had no real bearing on their day-to-day life. And so you've got people living that type of life, who then walk into God's family. And and so, uh, of course, you're going to have to push against this feeling that, okay, so we've just now got a new God that we're going to go and make sacrifices to and and act like we, you know, really believe in, but we're just truly kind of walking through the motions. We don't actually live any different because of our belief in God. And so this is something that Paul is going to be pushing up against in this text. And he's going to talk about how we have this new way of life. And kind of the, I guess, the flow of this text in Colossians 3, I would say, is, is beauty, evil, and then beauty again. He's going to share the beauty of our new life in Christ. He's going to talk about there, there being this evil that finds its way into our lives. And then he's going to talk about the beauty of life in Christ once again. It's kind of this idea that, hey, you are a new creation in Jesus. Paul says that over and over again. But for you to fully walk into this new life in Christ— it's sort of like planting a, gar- a garden, right? So when you plant a garden, you can't just go out to your yard and, and, and you know, it's grass and, and weeds and, and just throw some seed down and, and hope to grow some vegetables, right? If you want to plant a beautiful garden, you've got to, to sometimes pull some weeds, right? And, and so he's saying, hey, there's going to be some weeds in your life that you've got to pull out of your life if you want to plant a beautiful garden. Now, now what are the weeds that Paul talks about? He says a few of them here. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
covetousness. This, this idea of, of always wanting. Is that you today? I know that's something that I have a temptation toward, that, that I always want something more, something that's, that's somebody else's, that's maybe not mine at all. And he says, again, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's pretty scary, right, when you think about it. It's not something that we want to talk a lot about is the wrath of God. It's not something that, that is enjoyable to think about. But what I want you to know, and this is really key for us as Christians, is that you cannot fully have love until you actually have wrath. Wrath is actually an aspect of God's love for the world. So, so I'm a dad, right? So I'm going to be real with you. If, if say, like a, like a pedophile goes after my kids, they're going to feel the wrath of dad, right? And, and you would say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why? why? Because I, I love my children. I want to protect my children. Anything that comes in to, to hurt my children is actually going to receive my wrath. And God is no different. God, and if, well, he, he's different in the sense that God's wrath is always loving. My wrath is not always loving. I have, I have evil inside of me still that, that, is, that is left to be sanctified, right? And so, so God's wrath is, is similar, but it's, it's perfected. And it's always driven by love, which, um, yeah, just ask my family. My wrath is not always driven by love. But he says this, and this is beautiful. He says, you have to put off the old self with its practices and have to put on the new self. So there's this taking off and putting on process that every one of us has to walk into if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. And and so what you need to know is that the gospel is that you walk into this relationship with Jesus. You do nothing to earn it. I mean, you, you show up just a total disaster. And it's almost like the clothing that you wear when you approach Jesus, it's like we are dressed for hell. We're dressed for eternity apart from God. And then when Jesus comes into our life, he, he, he says, I'm going to actually wrap you in my robes of righteousness. I'm going to give you this new, this new identity, this new life. And so then we go on this process through the rest of our life of, of taking off things that, that don't fit anymore and, and putting on things that do. And, and so this is the journey of every Christian, taking off the things that don't fit with this new life in Jesus identifying the, the evil in our lives, some of the things that we just listed, and saying, hey, that's not you anymore. Like, that's not who you are. In fact, I was just talking with uh, our production director, Ryan, just a minute ago, and he's telling a story. He gave me permission to share this. And, and so a, a few years ago, we were actually down in Anchorage at, um, I guess you could call it a holiday music festival. Um, it was really just like a, a metal show with a thousand screaming crazy people. And so we went down to Anchorage, went to this show, and, and it was just, it was wild. Uh, it was around Halloween, and, and so everybody's dressed in costumes. And so as the night went on, it got crazier and crazier. And the mosh pits got crazier and crazier. People are, you know, pushing up against us on either side. And, and I'm just kind of trying to stay out of, uh, you know, of, of where I could possibly get punched in the face. And, and this crowd gets, gets wild. And all of a sudden, there's this person that's getting beat down in the middle of this crowd. And I'm standing with Ryan. All of a sudden, Ryan jumps over my shoulder into the group of people and cold clocks this guy in the face. And I'm, I'm like, wow, I'm impressed in this moment, right? And he comes back over with this this look on his face, and he just said, let's get out of here. And so I was like, all right. And, and so we walk out, and I was, like, I was like, wow, man, that was, that was pretty crazy, you know? And he said something that really struck me, and he said, he said I hate that about myself. He said, he said, that was like the old me coming out, and, and I don't want any part of that 
anymore. I want to, I want to take that out of my life and, and be this person that God has created me to be today. And it really struck me that he knew that, you know, this, this is me acting in a way that is not who I am. And, and so I, I love that. And, and I think we all have stories like that where um, we say or do things that are, that are simply out of character for somebody who is living in the grace of Jesus. You have those moments. And I just want you to know this. If you've said something in the past couple of days, done something in the past couple of days that you're not proud of, that you're feeling shame for, and, and if you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to know that's not who you are. Okay, I want you to believe that. That's not who you are. The enemy will come in and accuse you. He'll want you to, to hide that sin in the darkness of your life. I want you to drag it out into the street and, and to be honest about it with someone you love and someone that loves you and just to be real because when you do that, God can heal you and he can make it right and he can, he can reassure you that that's just not who you are anymore, okay? And so trust and believe that and that's what Paul is trying to tell these Christians, He's like, hey, I know that you used to just kind of follow these other pagan gods and, and you had this kind of religious thing that you would, you would do and then you would live this, this other completely different lifestyle, right? Many Christians have that story. We go to church on Sunday, right? And live a godless life on Monday. And Paul's like, that's not you anymore. You are in Christ Jesus. But the reality is these things are still in us. These things are there. But the problem is we don't actually see them sometimes. Like I love, that, I love that my friend saw that in himself, but the truth is there's probably things in your life right now that are, that are symptoms of your deformed heart and you don't even realize that they're there. I mean, I mean, sometimes we become so numbed to the sin in our life and so used to acting out in these different ways that we don't even realize that it does not look like our new identity in Jesus. And so how do we begin to know? that our hearts are deformed? How do we begin to know that there's something that's wrong in our life? I would say this, the symptom of a deformed heart is a lack of peace. So, so maybe you don't see all the things that are wrong. Maybe you don't even notice anymore when you speak to somebody in a, in a way that, that doesn't honor them or doesn't honor God. Uh, maybe there's a, an addiction in your life or something that's just sort of become part of the norm and, and, and other people see it in your, in your life, but you don't even see it anymore. And maybe there's things that, that, that are actually robbing your life from you. They're stealing the best things that God has for you. Maybe there's greed in your life. And you're always, you know, coveting and, and wanting these things and unable to experience peace. And maybe you can't see any of these things because that's, that's the truth. For, for a lot of us, uh, for me included, I, I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't see myself as I am. The people in my life, they have a view of my life that I don't have. I don't truly see myself as I am, and I won't until I'm ready to ask good questions and to seek the truth. But the symptom of a deformed heart is a lack of peace. Would you say that you lack peace lately? I would say that in my life there is a lack of peace in so many different ways lately. Well, Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ... Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then I love this last, last part. This is so key. And be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the body of Christ, within the family of Christ. And then he 
He tags on this little part at the end of the sentence, and this is really where we're spending time together over the next few weeks, and be thankful. He's going to keep coming back to that, and be thankful. This, this idea of, of rule, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, it's actually an athletic term. And, and it's speaking to this idea uh, of there being like an umpire at a game, and the umpire is giving out prizes, Right? And he's saying, hey, this is the person that wins. This is the person that loses. And and ultimately, they make the decisions. And so what Paul is referring to in this idea of ruling in your hearts is that your heart actually has an umpire. And it's giving out prizes, right? And so whatever is ruling your heart is actually running your life. So think about that. Whatever is ruling your heart is running your life. And it's giving out prizes and showing you Uh, what your life is like right now. So the heart that's ruled by sin, the heart that's ruled by these things that that Paul listed off, here are the prizes. Here are the things that you're going to get. First, anxiety. If you felt that lately, I know I have. This is a a product of, of sin somewhere in our life, right? Like anxiety is not something that we as believers should live with at all, right? We, we have the king who we follow, right? Ultimately, the president or whoever your boss is isn't ultimately in charge of your life. God himself is king over all things, and that's what gives us peace in all circumstances. Anxiety is a symptom of something being wrong in our hearts. Unrest. Have you struggled to rest lately? Do you lay down in bed at night and your, your mind's just churning and, and you can't go to sleep and you can't slow down and, and you, you just you continue to work through the day and you're trying to control the circumstances and the outcomes and you just, you can't rest? Well, how could you? How could you if you're the one that's ultimately making the decisions on the outcome of your life? But if there's someone or something greater than you, well, we can rest, Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's like our, our minds and our hearts. It's like, a, like an engine that's like a runaway diesel engine ultimately consuming itself by the pace of our lives. So anxiety, unrest. The next one is this discontentment. This is a symptom of something being deformed in our hearts. It's a symptom of what is ruling your heart that we can't simply find peace with what we have. And we're coming into the holiday season, and this is when we ramp up all of our discontentment. This is when, you know, everybody tries to use our discontentment against us to get us to pull out our credit cards, right? And, and I am not the anti-Christmas, like, let's not, you know, get some presents and enjoy this holiday. Like, I have a great time with this every single year. You know, we, we go on Amazon. We buy probably too much stuff for the kids. We do a lot of those things. But I'm starting to notice the older that I get that, that we're being played, that we're, I'm noticing the ways that, that I'm being manipulated by media by what's, what's being presented to me on, online and all of those things. And, and, and they're really leveraging and, and manipulating my heart so that they can gain financially. And so we just need to know that that's the game. We need to know that it's out there and confess that this is a symptom of something that's wrong in my heart. Here's another one. Bitterness. Bitterness. This is what we get. This is, this is what happens in our hearts when we're being ruled by sin. This is the prize, bitterness. There's somebody that you need to forgive right now, I guarantee it. There's somebody that you're holding on to. It's something they said. It's something they did. 
and you have yet to sit down with them and say, hey, I, I can't seem to, to work through this. I need your help. This hurt me. Um, and you just need to make that phone call. But once again, this is a symptom that, that sin is the umpire of your heart. Okay? How about this? Fear. Have you had some fear lately? We all have had some fear lately. Fear has been the tool of manipulating the nation lately. Every single political ad that you've seen for the past six months has been driven by fear. It's, it's like 1% here are the good things we're going to do and 99% that the other guy is the spawn of Satan, right? That's how we drive people to, to do what we want them to do is by manipulating them through fear. So this is the heart that's, that's ruled by sin, but, but what about a heart that's ruled by Jesus? Well, here's what you experience. Peace. Do you need some peace right now? I know I do. I'd say this might be the one thing that we have lacked the most as Americans over the past few months. This may be the one thing that, that you've never felt. And, and this may be the one thing that you thought is impossible to take hold of. The most elusive thing in your life may, may be peace right now. And I just want you to know that peace is possible. Peace within you is possible. It's something that God wants to give you. But if you can't seem to experience it, I just want you to know that there's something else that's ruling. There's something else that has authority and power in your life and that, that that's something to confess to God and be honest and say, hey, I've given authority and power to something. I, I might not know exactly what it is. All, all I'm getting are all the symptoms, right? I don't really know what the actual problem is. I don't know what the actual sickness is. It's, it's sin, but some kind of sin. But, but all I know is I don't have peace, God, and I want it. And I just promise you that God wants to give you peace in abundance. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. And then he says this, and be thankful. So I want to close out talking about thankfulness. Like, what does this actually mean to be thankful? I was actually in line uh, at the grocery store earlier this week with my son. And, and so we were buying all this candy. And uh, we didn't do much trick-or-treating this year. I don't know what your kids did. But I just told my kids, hey, uh, why don't we go to uh, Fred Meyer? And we're just going to buy you a cart full of candy and go home and watch movies. So they were like, yay, daddy. And so it's total win. We didn't have to go walk around on the cold streets. But anyway, so we went into the grocery store, bought the candy. We're standing in line. And something hit my son. I don't know what it was. Uh, but he just, he started pulling the things out of the cart and he just looked at me and he's like, Dad, thank you for the chocolate. And he's like, he's like, Dad, thanks for the candy bars. And he's like, Dad, thanks for the M&Ms. He just started picking them apart one at a time, going through the cart. Dad, th-. and this is not the typical for my boy, right? I love him, but this is not something that he does very often at all. And so I'm just kind of shocked as we're waiting in line. This lady in front of us, she turns and she goes, what a good boy, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. He's always like that. He's a very thankful little, little guy, right? She goes, what a good boy. And he's like, yep, yeah, I'm a good boy, right? And so there was something that this woman saw. It was simply that my little boy was thankful. And, and isn't that, isn't it something that you notice? I mean, she noticed it, right? Because it, it seems almost uncommon that a kid would be thankful like that, let alone an adult, Right? 
So there's something uncommon about thankfulness, and yet what we all know is it's something that's beautiful, and it's something that we want more of, right? So it seems like the world is full of the opposite. It's full of unthankfulness, right? Wouldn't you say unthankfulness is everywhere you look? Wouldn't you say unthankfulness is something that tends to fill your life? Now, here's the truth about being unthankful. Um, is unthankfulness is obvious in others and invisible in ourselves. As I talk about unthankfulness, some of you are like, oh yeah, that's me. That's my problem, Brian. I need to fix it. But I would say for the most part, for most people, we don't really see the lack of gratitude in our lives. Like, and here's, here's the problem. Let's, let's get into this for a moment. Is that, is that we feel feelings of, of thankfulness many times. We feel these feelings, and yet in so many ways, we don't actually express those feelings. And so many of us don't see that there is a lack of true thankfulness in our lives. I'll tell you this, as a pastor over the years, um, I've never had somebody say this. The reason I can't stay married is that I'm just unthankful. I've never had anybody say that. I've never had anybody come in and say, hey, I just got fired from my job. You know why I got fired? Because I'm just unthankful. I've, I've never had somebody tell me, hey, do you know why my kids don't talk to me anymore? It's because I'm really unthankful. I think at a, at a certain level, we all know I could do better with thankfulness, but few of us would really be able to see within ourselves that we, we are not thankful people. But here's the hard truth is it's obvious to others. To the people that know you best, that live with you, that actually live in your house or, or, or your friends or the, those that are closest to you, they see your lack of thankfulness, but you just probably don't see it. I know I don't really see it as clearly as I need to, right? Nobody wants to be tagged as unthankful, right? Nobody wants that. It's why like, we try to train our kids, don't we? We try to train our kids when they're young to say thank you. And so uh, for many, many times before this moment with my son, I'd say, hey, um, when, when he would get something, I'd say, what do you say? And what would he say? Thank you, right? Well, we stop doing that when people are adults. Why? Because it's, it'd be weird, right? Can you imagine somebody hands my wife something? I go, what do you say, honey? It's a great way to get smacked. We don't do that as adults. And, and honestly, sure, it'd be disrespectful, but the other thing would be, it, it just would be disingenuous, Right? I mean, if you looked at another adult and said, say thank you, the, the obvious thing to the other person would be, well, they don't clearly mean it. And the reason it seems disingenuous is because we all, whether we know it or not, we believe this, that if you actually felt it, you would say it. If you actually felt it, you would communicate it. You would let it out. And we would know, man, that's a, that's a thankful person. And so I wonder, I wonder, is this something that you do? I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 17 as we close. This is a little story, and this is maybe one of the most common stories that Christians go to to talk about thankfulness. But a few really key things stuck out to me in this story today. And as we read this story in the life of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Specifically this, do I merely feel thankful or am I actually being thankful? Do I merely feel thankfulness sometimes here and there? Or am I actually being a thankful person? So here we are. Luke 17 verse 11 says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria 
in Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now, leprosy is this terrible sickness that still exists today. And for the people that had leprosy in their day, what they would be is they'd they'd be actually um, stuck outside of the city and they wouldn't be around anybody that, that they loved. They wouldn't be able to be around their family, around their friends. They would be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And then people would actually, actually judge them for having leprosy. Like, because if they were this sick, clearly they had sin in their lives. That's, that's what they believed. Like, if they were this sick, it was a product of the sin in their life. And God was judging them with leprosy. So people wanted nothing to do with you if you had leprosy. So they're walking along, passing between Samaria in Galilee, and they run into these 10 lepers who've been shamed, who've been stuck outside of the city. Some of you might feel this lately because you got COVID. We have this, this thing called COVID shaming, right? Where people feel really bad. We make them feel bad for having COVID. A friend of mine the other day, he texted me because he got diagnosed with COVID. And his text was, I'm so sorry, man. And I was like, what are you sorry for? Did you do it on purpose, right? Like, like you went and tried to get COVID, right? But, but the, the reality is there's this, this shaming that, that goes on, right? And so the lepers were sort of the people that were shamed in their society, kind of like we shame people who get COVID here today. And so it says this, it says, they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So 10 lepers come to Jesus. Jesus yells at them. He says, hey, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, here's the thing. He hadn't healed them yet, right? He didn't say, hey, be healed, then go. He said, said, go and show yourself. So what Jesus is doing is challenging them to step out in faith, Right? Because that's what an act of faith is, right? It's not an act of faith when you have proof. It's not an act of faith when it all looks like it's going to make sense and when all the details have come together and you take a step because it seems like uh, the, the easiest decision to make in the moment. No, he says, go show yourself to the priest. Why did he say that? Well, in their day, once in a while, if you were a leopard, you would get healed. You just would, whether it be miraculously or whatever might have happened, but, but you would actually stop having leprosy. And so for you to actually be reintegrated into society, you had to show yourself to the priest and the priest had to give you a clean bill of health. I don't know what they did. Uh, they weren't necessarily doctors, but they would look you up and down and go, man, it looks like you're not sick anymore. And once the priest said you were okay, you could be reintroduced to society, be around your family again, around your friends again. Like you got your life back when the priest said you could have it back. And so Jesus is calling these 10 people to step out in faith and to move. And it says this, and as they went, they were cleansed. This is how God heals. I just want you to know this is how God works. If you're waiting for God to do something, you're like, hey, I'm just gonna sit here on my couch and wait for God to show up. This is how God has shown up in every way in my life. As I go, he works miracles. As I take a step, God shows up. But very rarely in life does it happen before we move. God says, hey, I want you to take a step of faith. Show me that that you're with me in this, and then I'm going to show up because that's what I love to do. It's show up when you think that you're down and out. Show up when you think that there's no hope and there's no chance. And so they run off, right? It says, as they went, they were cleansed. And then something crazy 
just wild happens. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So think about this. This man turns back to Jesus. Nine of them run off, and one person turns back. Why? Why would he do this? Why would one out of the ten actually turn around? Now, I don't know how you feel about the other nine. Maybe you're like, "Eh, that makes sense, right? Like, they could just thank him later. Maybe it doesn't even matter if they thank him later, right? Like, surely they got their life back. Why would they turn back around? It's kind of like, have you ever given a child a really great gift and they just kind of run off with it? And you're like, oh, that's really cute. That makes a lot of sense that they ran off. Why did this man come back? I think he realized this. He realized that this gift had a giver. He realized that this gift, this was a big gift, And that someone had given him this gift. And before he ran off to go play with his new toy, he said, I better go to the giver of the gift and be thankful and show my gratitude to him. Now, Jesus is going to ask two important questions to this man. And you you can pick these out as we go. He says this in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? It's a great question, right? Wait, wait, you came back. Where are the rest of them? Where did they go? What happened to those people? So, so Jesus is saying, no, no, it, it does matter. It does matter that they ran off. It does matter that maybe, I mean, if you were to pin them down, think about this. If you pin down all nine of them and you said, hey, wait, wait, are you thankful for what just happened? I can almost guarantee you they'd be like, oh yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm thankful, right? But I want to go get my clean bill of health. I want to get back to my family, right? But they'd forgotten one thing. This gift had a giver, right? They'd forgotten to show their gratitude. You see, apparently this is Jesus' point. That expressing thankfulness, let's skip ahead. Expressing thankfulness is an essential part of receiving, of the receiving process. So expressing thankfulness is an essential part of the receiving process. This is so key for us. If we want to fully receive from Jesus, we actually have to express our thankfulness. Let's jump back to verse 18. He says this. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What a blessing. What a blessing. Jesus sees that this man, he has true gratitude. That he's actually being a thankful person. And he blesses this man. Now, I'll tell you this. Again, most unthankful people in your life think that they're thankful. Most unthankful people think that they are. If I asked your kids, if I asked your husband, if I asked your friends or your parents, they think that they are being thankful. But why do you sometimes feel like they're unthankful? And the simple answer is this, because it's not expressed. Because it's not expressed, we don't actually feel like they are thankful people. We do the same to other people all the time. We don't express our thankfulness. We actually live in thankfulness. And so people think 
that we are not thankful people. And why do we do this to people? Why do we expect other people to know that we're thankful, right? I'd say it this way. Why do we expect people to believe what's not expressed? Why do we expect them to know that if we haven't actually said it? Your, your friend, your boss, your coworker, if we haven't actually communicated our thankfulness, why do we expect people to believe what's not expressed? Now, here's the deeper question. Why do we expect God to believe what's not expressed? This is key. I mean, it really begins with, with God. Do you express your gratitude to God? Because I think that God is waiting for that. And clearly in this moment, Jesus said, hey, he's, he's looking for that response. And the one was actually uh, the one that he blessed, right? It was the one that came back and showed his thankfulness. I actually believe that God tests us in this. I think he does. I do this with my kids. My kids will be like, Dad, can I have some chips? I'll have a big old bag of chips. And you know what I'll do? I'll hand them one chip. You parents do this? We like to tease our kids like this. I'll hand them one chip. And there'll be one of two responses. Either they'll eat it and go, oh, thank you, Daddy. Or they'll go, oh, man, I want lots of chips. And, get, and what, what do I do in that moment? What you would do? I take their chip and I eat it, right? And they go, oh, oh, oh no, thank you, Dad. Thanks, right? It's a, it's a test, right? And I think that God is testing our thankfulness, right? I want you to know this. The marriage you have is a test. The job you have is a test. The money you have is a test. And I know some of you are like, I don't want to hear that, Pastor Brian. I don't want to think about that. But the money that, we, that we're given by God, handed to, as stewards, God says, hey, there's no money that's yours. You actually don't have a dime to your name. It's all mine, right? You're a, you're a steward of your finances, right? It's actually a test, right? Are you thankful for your finances, or are you constantly simply wishing and wanting for more, right? Jealous of what other people have and, and maybe even shaking your fist at God that you're not in a different place financially. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. So think about that. There's this idea of first fruits and, and we teach this and believe this as God's church that financially this is a test. That God wants us he doesn't say honor the Lord with your wealth and with the last fruits of all your produce, right? Like, like hey, uh, do whatever you want. Pay all the bills, you know, go out to eat, do whatever you want, buy the Christmas presents, and then whatever is last, whatever's left in the bottom of the bushel basket, then give that to God. Because this is honestly what God's people had been doing for generations it's something that God certainly condemns, right? They, they would bring animals to be sacrificed, to be like the sheep with three legs or, you know, the goat that, you know, has one eye or something. They're like, well, I got this one. I'll just give that to God. And yet God gives us his first and best. And there's certainly this principle that God's like, hey, your finances are a test, right? He who's faithful with little, listen, is faithful with much. So those things are a test by God, all of that, of our thankfulness. So let me, all, let me tie this all together. If you're lacking peace in your marriage, if you're lacking peace in your job, in your friendships, in your money, here is the deal. Unexpressed thankfulness will steal your peace, but expressed thankfulness positions you to receive it. Think about that. When you don't express it, 
it's going to steal your peace. When you're not actually being a thankful person, you're not going to experience the peace that God wants to give you because because thankfulness is part of the receiving process, just like it was for that one man who came back and said, hey, before I go play with my new toy, before I go run off and just experience what you've given me, I want to actually express my thankfulness to you. So two questions for you as we close. Two really important things I want you to ask yourself. The first is this. What's it like to give to you? What do other people experience when they give you things? I mean, do they, do they know your thankfulness? And what about God? What's it like to give to you? Is there a sense, do you, do you sense that God is going, man, they, they are so thankful for what I've given them. Or is there, is there always this sense of want from God and this lack of perspective in the blessings that he's poured out on your life? And the second thing is really important. Who can you express thankfulness to? So who's the person this week that is, is, is the person that gave you a chance, right? Maybe it's your boss. I mean, they, 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 they actually risked some things to hire you, right? Maybe it's your spouse, right? You're like, you took a chance on me. Maybe it's your parents. And they messed it up in all kinds of different ways. But honestly, they, they took pretty good care of you. And, and you just, you've lost that perspective because of all the mistakes that were made. I just want to challenge us as a church as we step into this conversation about thankfulness to go and do this this week. What if, what if this week you just wrote three notes to people? I know especially the guys who are watching are like, not going to do it. And that's fine, but I'm just, I want to ask you, if somebody sent you a written note to tell you that you made all the difference in their life, would that not make more of an impact than like a, yo bro, thanks, text? I think it would. So what if you did that for someone else this week and just expressed your thankfulness to them? And and I know that some of you are going to feel like, well, Brian, you just preached this sermon, so now I can't go do it. I have to wait a couple months, right? That's pride. That's pride in you. Just go do it. Express your thankfulness to somebody, okay? They're going to receive it. They're going to appreciate it. We as a church, too, I want you to know about this. Here in just a few weeks, we have something called Compassion Sunday on November 22nd. And we have a partnership with Compassion International. We sponsor uh, 500 children in Burkina Faso. We're giving them uh, food and education, biblical teaching, and, and really lives are being changed. And so uh, we have an opportunity to sponsor some more kids to make a big difference as a church. And I want to continue to do that uh, together with you. So look for that opportunity coming up. Would you pray for, uh, pray for all of that? Pray for our church. And let's pray together that we'd be a thankful people. Jesus, thank you for um, your willingness to to just lavish your grace upon us. We know that we don't often live and communicate our thankfulness. We don't live in the thankfulness that um, we'd like to. And God, sometimes we have these feelings of thankfulness, but we just don't express them very well. Yet God, we believe today through this text that we see that expressing thankfulness is, is part of the receiving process. God, I pray we would close the loop today. And we'd start with you, God. You've given us so much first in the gift of your son. God, that you've saved us and and loved us and met us right where we are. God, that you've given us your very first and best and not your leftovers, God. And so we want to give you back everything that we have. And and Father, I pray that the next thing would be to the people in our lives that, God, that it would be a joy to give to us. God, that they would enjoy it because they sense that we are actually thankful for all that they do and all the gifts that they give, God, and all the many ways that people put up with us, God, and, and have given us 
a second and a third and a fourth chance. So God, make us a thankful people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, ACF. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.